This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. This is Morton Anderson, and you are listening to the iTest for Two. Well, if you were listening to us last week on the iTest for Two podcast, you know we were talking with Hall of Fame voter Rick Gosselin about this year's list of 28 semifinalists for the modern era class of 2023. You also know that we spent a great deal of time speaking about seven wide receivers in this year's group. That'd be eight if you include return specialist Devin Hester, who played some at wide receiver. But anyway, seven or eight. And that two were singled out, two. I remember two. One was Heinz Ward of the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the other is with us today. And that's former Rams and Washington star Henry Ellard. I know he played one year with the Patriots, but with the Rams and Washington star with them. And he reached the semifinals for the first time ever. The first time ever. And it's about time. Because this is Henry Ellard's last year of eligibility as a modern era candidate. And both he and Albert Lewis, whom we earlier addressed, on this podcast, they're in their final years of eligibility. And Henry, as I mentioned, is with us today, joins us from his home in San Antonio, where he coaches, I think, high school football. Um, And Henry, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. And second, congratulations, congratulations on reaching the next tier. It's about time. Thank you, I appreciate that. I'm glad to be here. Are, Are you, were you surprised when you heard your name announced? I, I didn't know somebody else told me. <laughs> uh, it was actually my daughter was kind of going through it, and, and she said, did you, did you see this list? I said, no, I haven't, I haven't looked at it. So well, um, it, was, it was a surprise. Well, let's go over your resume because it's impressive. Um, when you concluded, I think, 17-year career in the NFL, you had 13,770 receiving yards, which at that time was third, third best all-time. You had 877 receptions which was sixth at that time, all time. You have 16.9 yards per catch, basically 17 yards per catch. You had more receiving yards than Hall of Famer Andre Reid, despite having 74 fewer receptions. And you had 15,718 yards, almost 16,000 yards, all-purpose yardage, which I think at that time was fifth all time. I was looking at the people ahead of you. I think Walter was there, Peyton Herschel, Marcus Allen, and, and Barry Sanders. You're also a first-team All-Pro, so and that was twice. So why, I, why hasn't he been a semifinalist before until now? And I guess Henry, I'd ask you the same question. It's amazing to me when you listen to that resume that you haven't even been a semifinalist. You haven't been a finalist, obviously, if you haven't been a semifinalist. This is your first year and last year of modern era eligibility. You're just semifinalist. Um, I'd ask you, you know, why and and does it bother you? Oh uh, no. Um, and my thing is, um, just having the opportunity to to play at the NFL level was a blessing in itself. Uh, this uh, little kid from Fresno, California, who was one of the last guys to get picked in the neighborhood when they were picking teams. You know, you take him. I don't want him. You take him. And just <laughs> to, to think that. To get the opportunity, not only play one year in NFL, to play 16 years in NFL was a blessing in itself. So you'll never hear me complain about something like this. Because I was, I was very blessed, I was very fortunate to get the opportunity to, to live out a dream and play in the NFL. Henry, uh, 
you got a lot of statistics, but I got one that you might not be aware of. This is Ira from Tampa. Um, Henry, unless my math is wrong, uh, of every NFL player that's caught 800 or more passes, 800, I believe you have the highest yards per catch at 16.9. You're number one, Mr. Ellard. So <laughs> I guess my question I guess my question, Henry, was you weren't exactly catching five-yard square outs uh, with, with the Rams for those 10 years, were you? Uh, no, no, and I took a lot of pride in that, you know, in my uh, yak yards, as they call it, uh, yards after catch. And I took a lot of a lot of pride in that, you know. And, uh, and that was the thing I was always focusing on as I caught the ball is to try to get that extra yard, take a five-yard hitch and turn it into a 20-yard or 30-yard touchdown was the thing that I really focused on. And punt return helped me with that that situation. What was your bread and butter uh, pattern, Henry, on third and eight? Um, you, you had to get the first down. Uh, what what would you turn to, even though they knew it was common, you ran it so well, they couldn't stop it. What what was your uh, what was your signature pattern? What everybody would tell you is the comeback, the, uh, the 18-yard comeback is the route I ran. And even though, like you say, they may know it's coming, but they couldn't stop it because just the timing and the way I worked out with the quarterback, because there'll be times where I'm running around, and especially when it's man coverage, I'm looking back at the quarterback the whole time, and most of the time it was Jim Everett. And if he was going elsewhere with the ball, I wouldn't even come out of the route. I'll just keep running up the field because I don't want to give it away. But once his eye came back to me, that's when they told me, okay, I need to put my feet down, get in and out of the cut. And the timing always seemed to work out very well. Henry uh, and Henry, uh, how do you uh, how do you stay uh, uh, refrain from being bitter, Henry? When you see the rules now, you can't breathe on a guy. There's a flag. <laughs> uh, you can't touch a guy after five oh, yards. Yeah. And, and Henry, yeah. those thousand yard seasons that used to mean so much, uh, it, it, not so much anymore. No, I, I agree with that. It's going to be touch football before we know it. I understand that the. The safety part of it, these are guys bigger, faster, but, but still, you know, you take the, the challenge out of the game. It was always a challenge to me to play, to line up against Ronnie Lott and knowing this man could take my head off. And, but that was a challenge of it running across the middle of the field. I always knew where that man was at all times. He caught me maybe one good time and I said, I'll never let that man hit me again like that because I won't play this game very long. But, but that was a challenge of the game. And, and they take, I think, they've taken most of that challenge away now. You know, anybody can push up and run through the middle of the field and not have to worry about a whole lot. And I, I don't too much care for that. We're speaking with Hall of Fame semifinalist Henry Ellard on the eye test for two. And, Henry, we'll give you a challenge. The no challenge of the game uh, from the playing standpoint. We'll give you a challenge here. If you were playing today against those defenses or non-defenses, what do you think you would do? Because the numbers are gargantuan that are coming out each year. 100-yard catches, they're, they're almost routine. Um, you know, yeah. the, the thousand, thousand yard seasons, they're almost routine. What would Henry Eller do today against these defenses? I, I, I don't know. Um, you know, something that, that, that goes through your mind, is, uh, it's really hard to, to say. You know, we would love the opportunity. You know, but what comes with that as well, the more catches you get, the more pounding you take as well. So the Cooper Cup of, of the world, I mean, you get beat up through a long yep. season, you know. But, but I would love to have that opportunity to, you know, it's like my first 
four years in the league, we had Eric Dickinson in the backfield. Right. That's where that ball was going. That's when I became a punt returner. (laughs) (laughs) That's when I became a punt returner to try to get my hands on the ball to do what I can to help the team. So, you know, if we had a a 35 or 40 catch season, we were doing well. Yeah, that's right. That's right. In that situation. But, you know, who knows? Yeah, I remember 1984 was the first year I covered the Chargers. And Kellen Winslow in that first game, I think, had 15 catches. And it was astounding. No one had heard of that. 15. It was just astounding. And and I thought, my gosh, a tight end with 15 catches, but now you know 10 catch games, they're not they're not unusual. And and 12, 13, catch, you'll see them from wide receivers galore because it's become a passing league. And when I looked yeah, at you, I sure. mentioned Andre. I mentioned Andre Reed earlier. To me, he's the closest comparison to you. Um, but he went to four Super Bowls, and and you right, didn't. And I right. and, and I wonder, a if that penalized you, and I think it probably did. But I'm just going to ask you whether that penalized you. And secondly. I remember when you and I spoke in 2016, we had an interview on Talk of Fame Network then. And at that time, you had mentioned that you, you said you can only dream of what might have been had you played with Hall of Fame quarterbacks like Steve Young or Joe Montana, Troy Aikman, that sort of thing. That probably penalized you, too. But I'm just kind of wondering. Ira had a good question. You, you're not bitter at all. And yet you, you didn't go to, to championship games when others with similar stats did. And they're in. And he didn't play with Hall of Fame quarterbacks either. And I just wonder if you think either or both of those set you back. And it's hard to say. Um, I will tell you this. My body of work was compiled with with 13 different quarterbacks. Right. (laughs) You know. um, (laughs) You know, and I don't know how that compares in in some other guys, you know, but um, it was a blessing to play. You know, if I could have played with Jim Everett, throughout my career, you know, because that's when I really put up the, uh, with the numbers. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things that happened. Like I say, I was just fortunate and blessed to play the game for a long time and, and play with some outstanding guys, that's for sure. But you got a lot of good, great players that come through the NFL, and that's what this tells you. Yeah, that's right. And when we talked to Tim Brown at one time, I remember him saying, listen, I didn't play with great quarterbacks, and, and he didn't, and you, you didn't either. Jim Everett was a very good quarterback. Um, but you played with the Dieter Brocks, the Heath Schuler's Gus Farad in, in Washington, and yet you compiled astounding numbers. As I said, those numbers really, to me, speak for themselves because while all these people now are going to pass everyone from 20, 30 years ago, um, when you retired, those receiving yards, that was third all time. You know, the, the all-purpose yards, fifth all time. Um, the, the 877 receptions, six all time. I mean, those speak volumes. And, and I think that can be lost on voters today. And I'm glad, Ira, I'm glad you mentioned that, that number about uh, people with 800 catches or more. That's a, that's a number we should bring forward to the table. I, I want to see Henry Eller discuss. I want to see him discuss as a finalist. Let's get Henry Eller in that top 15, Clark, and then he gets his day. Um, Henry, I, I don't want to bring up bad memories, Mr. Ellard. I don't. Uh, but well, I want to okay. ask you this. I yeah. want to ask you this. You played against two of the greatest teams of the modern era. You got bounced both times in the postseason. The 85 Bears. Yes. And the 89 49ers. I mean, 49ers, yes. yes. Um, both incredible teams, Henry. Incredible they rolled through the playoffs. Nobody challenged them. Um, what was the tougher assignment? What was the better opponent, Henry? Chicago just beat you up. 
that's one thing I remember about the Chicago game. They were physical. Uh, whenever you played Chicago, it took you the whole week to, to heal from playing Chicago. Um, of course, San Francisco being in our division, you know, there was always a division rival. And I always went back and forth. Again, uh, they just ended up taking those next necessary steps to get to the championship game and, of course, win it. Um, but like I say it was just a great time that I really enjoyed, you know, um, to play in those kind of situations and things like that. And this San Francisco in 89 was just, I think we were one place short. We were, we were on the East Coast run. We had to win in New England the last game of the year to get in. Came back home, went to Philadelphia, win that game, went home, come back to New York to win and end up playing a championship game in, in uh, San Francisco. So we were playing on an emotional high at that time against San Francisco. One play, um, and I can't remember um, if it was a trick play or not, but Jimmy, Jim Everett was trying to get the ball to Flipper Anderson. And the ball just kind of hovered. I, I've never seen running a lot run that fast in my life from one side of the field to the other. And at the last possible second, he knocked the ball down. That, that just deflated us after that point. We were done. And they went on, of course, to, to win the game. Henry, you mentioned Ronnie a lot. You played against a lot of Hall of Fame corners. Daryl Green's another one. Um, yeah. And you you faced him in the playoffs. Um, how tough were those guys, and, and Ronnie Lott in particular, Henry? I mean, they, they were good. They were good at what they did, but you love playing against them because you can gauge your game against these kind of guys. You know, Deion Sanders, like I said, Joe Green, uh, Everson Wall, you know, all these guys um, that you go up against. But that's what I look forward to. They're going to allow me to judge my game and how good I can be. So you love that challenge. We're the Hall of Fame semifinals. Henry Ellard on the eye test for two. And Henry said you mentioned cornerbacks and I brought up the subject. Who was the cornerback who gave you the most trouble? When you lined up against one guy, is there someone out there that you said, oh, geez, no, not this guy again? Well, no, 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 that never went through my mind. Yeah, I wasn't (laughs) going to defeat myself, that's for sure. I said, okay, this is going to be the challenge. Kind of a thing, you know. Of course, like I said, Daryl Green, definitely, uh, and then it would piss me off sometimes. Because sometimes Daryl would follow me across the field, and because of that, they wouldn't throw the ball my way. And I didn't like that. Okay, let's challenge this man and let prove what he can do. You know, instead of just deciding to go elsewhere with the football. Uh, prime time, just a great athlete that you had to be on top of your game when you played this. And a lot of stuff you couldn't get away with. I remember I beat him on one play uh, in the uh, when he was with Atlanta. Uh, it was a double move route. We ran a corner route early in the game. And I said, Coach, this man is aggressive. We're going to have to take advantage of this. Sure enough, I'm on the left side of the field. I'm pushing up, trying to make the route look exactly the same as it did earlier. Sure enough, I get to the top of the route. I go to lean outside. He, he, he beat me to the sideline. I took one step outside and went right back up the field. Jim threw a uh, 40-yard touchdown. And whenever I would see prime time, that's the only play with him he'd ever talk about. Because oh. he didn't get beat very often. <laughs> he didn't get beat very often. But I took pride in it because, again, that's the time I just happened to catch him. He was young, he was an aggressive guy, and we just caught him at the right time. Of the corners that you faced, or let's put it another way, the corners of your era, who's the guy you respected the most? In other words, of the, of the group that you, you played against or that you saw throughout the league, Who's the yeah. one that you would single I mean, out as that was that was the toughest? Yeah, you know, it was a lot of guys. I was 
Carl Lee with Minnesota, Albert Lewis, like I said, with Kansas City. Um, they played the game. They played the game well. That challenged me that I had to be on top of my game. Uh, that's sure. You know, one guy that didn't stick out uh, uh, with me because, again, it was a lot of great players out there, and I just had to be on top of my game when I went up against these guys, uh, for sure. Yeah, I'm, gl- I'm glad you mentioned Albert Lewis because we had Tony Dungy on this broadcast about, I don't know, six weeks ago, seven weeks ago, something like that, and he was pumping Albert Lewis, talking about what a great corner he was. And the mystery to us is <laughs> this is only his second time as a semifinalist, and he's in his last year of modern era eligibility too. And Ira, I think you would agree, the two of us both want to see Henry Ellard and Albert Lewis in that room this time to get them discussed as finalists. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to check off my final 15, and I'm going to have Henry Ellard and Albert Lewis on my list. Me too. On my list. Me too. Clark, I got one more for our distinguished guest, Henry. Um, yeah. And Clark Judge, I can just see him grimacing when I ask this question because I, when I get a guy like you, Henry, I ask it. Okay. Henry, you coach, you coach the Rams receivers in St. Louis in the early 2000s, yeah. the greatest show yeah. on turf. And, Henry, you played the Bucks many times, many times. You played them in the playoffs. You played them in the regular season. Henry, you had to game plan for that Buck defense, and it was one heck of a defense. Henry, I'm presenting Rondé Barber. This will be his third year. Try to get in. What was your respect level for Rondé Barber when you were coaching against him? I said, just like I say, you had to be on top of the game, and that's something that Isaac, Tory, Ricky Poe, and Isaac King, we always talked about. You know, you put the tape on, you talk about the things you can take advantage of. Of course, with Tampa, you're always getting that Tampa 2 defense a majority of the time. So that's the big thing we tried to And it was all about patience. When you're going up against a Rondé Barber like that, I mean, you, you, you just can't rush to a route with him. you got to set him. you got to move him in order to give yourself a chance to, to, to make a play. It's the thing I really remember when it, when it came to, to Tampa Bay, that's, that's for sure. Henry, that defense was so simple that here's the defensive players talk about it. They only had five or six basic defenses. What, right. what made them so effective, Henry? Obviously, they had talent, right? Yeah, and, and the thing about it, the simple it is, see, in this world nowadays, we want to get so complicated, we, we can fool ourselves. When you keep it simple and you got players that can play the game, you allow them to play and not have to faint, and that's the key to the game. Henry, earlier in this broadcast, I referenced that Rick Goslin, who's a Hall of Fame voter, joined us last week, and he said he believed the most important stat of receivers were the yards after catch and touchdowns. Do you agree? And, and, And if so, is there one or the other that's more important to you? Um. It's like you say, for me, that's a lot of pride in, in the yards at the catch. What do you do with the ball once you catch it? Right. And that was my biggest thing. And, you know, I think when you do that, then usually everything else comes along with that. Um, but I, and that's what I took pride in. Okay, I'm not going to go down off of, on, on the first hit. I'm going to try to get everything I can out of this um, before the play is over. Right. And that's, that's the way I played the game. I also said earlier in this podcast that um, we were going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you one more time here. Um, Ira and I are in that room with 47 other voters. 
we want to see you get in there, but you can't be. And, and nobody but the voters will be in there. So I'm going to offer you a chance right now to make your case. If you were standing in front of Hall of Fame voters and said, listen, this is why I think I belong in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. What would you tell us? <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one for me because, like I said, um, I'm not that kind of guy, mm-hmm. you know, that brags about anything. But I, I would just tell you that, like I said, I can, my – Numbers was compiled with 13 different quarterbacks is what I would say. I mean, that's pretty much all I can say. Everything else speaks for itself. Right. But I, okay. I was fortunate, unfortunately, however you want to say it, play and catch from 14, uh, 13 different quarterbacks when I compiled my number, when I put my numbers together. Well, I don't know who would me. be the next guy that, that, that actually got in that, that would come close to that. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. As I said, Tim Brown mentioned something like that, but I don't think he played with 13 different quarterbacks. I don't know how many he played with, but they weren't Hall got, of Famers. Uh, Clark, I got, I got one more quick one for, okay. for Henry. Uh, Henry, you came into the league two years before the great Jerry Rice joined the 49ers. You're in the same division. You watch Rice emerge, Henry, uh, from a frail kid that didn't get a lot of publicity necessarily right off the bat. Henry, what what – what stood apart about Jerry Rice, and could he be the greatest player uh, this league's ever seen? Uh, no doubt. I mean, his, his, his numbers prove that. I mean, week in and week out, he he did it. And that's, I think, what separates a good player from a great player is the consistency in which they do it. And week in and week out, he did it. Even though you knew it was coming, you couldn't stop it. And he proved that so one week from one week to the next. Henry, what made him so special? Joe Montana, <laughs> Steve Young, <laughs> but no, but he was—I mean, he was a great route runner. Is what it was. When he wasn't a fast guy, he had football speed, but he was a great route runner. He had great patience as a route runner, and I, that makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, I covered him up in San Francisco. I think he had great hands too. Not the first year; the first oh, yeah. year they were on him, they were on him for drops. But he really had good hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he would catch it. Like I say, that first year, and that's all kind of get acclimated with playing in the game. You know, get a little anxious. But after that one year, and he put it behind him, he kept moving forward. And uh, he did consistency. Week yeah. in and week out. He just kept doing it over and over and over again. Yeah, it was a pleasure covering him. And, and honestly, Henry, it's a pleasure talking to you today. Thanks so much. We've had Henry Ellard with us. Uh, Henry, thanks for the time. Best of luck with your next vote. And uh, here's hoping we see in that room as a finalist. I appreciate it. Thank you. You got it. That was Hall of Fame candidate Henry Ellard and Ira. I I can't speak more highly of him, and I think you feel the same way. He deserves a chance like so many others. This is his last year of eligibility. We need to get people like Albert Lewis and Henry Ellard in the room just to be spoken for. We've got three other wide receivers who were there a year ago, Andre Johnson, Reggie Wayne, uh, Torrey Holt. But Henry Ellard's of that group. He's as good, if not better, than those guys. This is the last chance as a modern era candidate. And for those who don't know, you have to have 20 years of eligibility. If you don't, you don't get in the Hall of Fame. Then you go to the abyss, which is the <laughs> senior category. And Ira can tell you all about that. It's, it, I really want to see him in that room. Clark, you, you made, I think, the most important point about Henry Ellard. You judged the player in the time that he played. And when he hung it up, Clark, 
and I think it was uh, 93 or whatever it was. Clark, he, he was top five, top six in all the important categories. So you don't compare him to Tory Holt no, that's from right. 2008. Clark, you don't do that. Um, you judge him in his time, and when you do that, he, he he's a remarkable player. And he made a good point. His first few years, he wasn't getting the ball. Nobody but Eric Dickerson was getting the ball, right? So he's running on punt returns and occasionally getting in there and making a catch here and there. But he was returning punts, and he was good. But yes. then he emerged. So, uh, anyway. You know, Dickerson had a couple of years with 400 carries, Clark. 400. I know. I know. Astounding. Oh, Ira. I think. Do we hear some cheering? Since I was there, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to give it a shot for us. Where were you, Clark? Where were you? I was in, actually, the reason I mentioned this, I was in Anaheim Stadium, Rams-Chargers game. It was a preseason game, so it was not a big deal. They were running everyone on the field, and the Chargers that time, and I'm pretty sure this was 1992, so Henry Ellard was there, but 1992, um, they had a quarterback situation where the, uh, John Freeze was the, the, the quarterback, and I think there was, uh, I think Stan Humphreys had come in, and um, and, and so they were they were looking at these guys, and and anyway, there's a question of who's going to is, is Freeze going to start? Is he not going to start? Or what's going to happen? Who's going to be a start? OK, game's over. I go down the locker room and they tried John Freeze as a holder for the kicker that day. All right. So I, I'm looking for notes. And I asked John afterwards, uh, what do you think about holding for kicks? And he said, I, I loved it. I think I should be the guy. I really think I should be the guy. And um, and I want to be. And I, I could probably go to the coaches and tell them I should be the guy. OK, nothing there. That's a good note. Come back upstairs. I look at the press notes that come out, you know, and you get a quote sheet after the game. You know that Ian may know that you get a quote sheet, John freeze <laughs> on whether he should be the number one quarterback quote. I think I should be the guy. I'm going to talk to the coaches about me being the guy. I looked and went, Oh no, no, this is a controversy waiting to happen. Rick Smith, who's been on this podcast before was the director of public relations. I said, Rick, what are you doing? That's not what he was talking about. I asked him about holding for kicks. He goes, oh, oh boy. So oh, boy. Rick gets on the public address to the press box and says, attention press. Eh, that quote from John Freeze, that quote is uh, inoperative. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> inoperative. <laughs> you almost caused a major rift in the organization. Clark. Oh, was almost called a major rift and almost caused John Freeze to come after my butt. <laughs> That's not what we were talking about. Anyway, uh, on that note, I'm going to ask you about final thoughts. You got anything going this week? Well, Clark, uh, all roads lead back to Tampa somehow. Oh, no. Oh, no. Clark, Clark, they're in the Monday night game. They are. uh, Against the Saints. Now, that game had a lot more allure before the season started. Uh, The the Saints are like four and seven. Bucks are five and six. Um, And... Clark, I'm going to ask you directly this question, and I demand an answer. The Saints have no offense, and Andy Dalton's their quarterback. Andy Dalton can't move. He's a statue. They got shut out in San Francisco. The game was only 13-0, and I want Ian to weigh in on this too. Clark, you're in the game. You're in the game. And he never even thinks about putting in Jameis Winston. For Andy Dalton and Winston is dressed and he's the number two quarterback. 
What the heck is going on in New Orleans, Clark? They 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 got to draft the quarterback. I don't they know. Dra- that to me, nothing's going on there, and that tells you all you need to know about their quarterback situation. They're not putting Jameis Winston in because what if he lights it up? <laughs> People start saying, "Well, yeah, I guess we don't need a quarterback." They know more about Jameis Winston than we do from afar. What they see in practice, you know that. And I think, yeah, it's no secret they've got to get a quarterback and a young quarterback in there. Um, neither one of those guys is going to be the the guy, nor over Jason Hill. What do you think, Ian? No, I agree. Plus, also, I, I kind of think you're getting a little bit of the same thing going on with the uh, the coaching in, in New Orleans as you are in Tampa. I think you have a very good defensive coordinator that's in over his head as a head coach. So the decision-making, the uh, reactionary, and in the moment uh, is kind of off. So judgment-wise, I thought going to Andy Dalton a few weeks ago and sticking with him was smart, but at, at what cost now? You know, it's, it's there, there really hasn't been any improvement the last couple of weeks. So I've got a direct question for you, and I demand an answer like you did. I demand an answer. <laughs> Who's going to win that game? I have no trust in the Bucks anymore. I'm with you. I don't trust the Bucks anymore. They're going to be favored. Uh, Saints have a pop gun offense. Tristan Wirfs is down. Jack Barrett is done for the season. That's two of their four best players, Clark. This offense is scoring 18 points a game with Tom Brady. Look, that can't happen. Leftwich is getting pilloried. Uh, Bowles is, is getting run out of town by the mob. Uh, they're not blaming Brady. They're blaming the play calling, the lack of, uh, you know, being on top of timeout situations. Right. We, Clark, we, we saw the same thing in the Colts game on Monday night. A you problem did. with timeouts. Yeah, but that guy hasn't coached at the pro level before. Yeah. Todd Bowles has. Ian, you part of that mob? Yeah, yeah, I think I might be leading that mob. But but it, with a very realistic view of this, because I've been talking about this since over the summer and the beginning of the season, I just think uh, when, when you when you don't utilize your strength, people say it all the time, is this is a Tom Brady offense. Well, well, no, it isn't, because the coaches aren't designing the offense to play to his strengths, and the the ignorance ignor, ignoring of uh, play action the not going to this up tempo offense that clearly works and then right. the idea that they were worried about throwing an interception late in the game when two weeks ago I saw them march down the field against the Rams with no timeouts and less than a minute to play and win the game so um, has Tom been at his best absolutely not but when it comes to problems for this team I'd say he's at the very bottom and the coaching is at the very top. I wouldn't disagree. Um, I got one thing uh, for a final thought here, Ira. Ian, um, they announced the word of the year this week. You guys know what it is? The BDQ? word of the year. Yeah. I, it, test, I test. I, I, <laughs> I think that's two words. I think it's two words. Um, no, but it was Webster's Dictionary. I think it was Webster's announced the uh, word of the year. They do it every year. Word of the year is gaslight. Gaslight. Now, I never knew what that meant. Well, okay, I'll ask you guys. Do you know what it means, Ira? Well, I know what it means in 1880 uh, London. Yeah, 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 you know, uh, <laughs> I, I think it means uh, pull, pull the wool over somebody's eyes. Uh, yeah, kind, I mean. kind of. Well, I, I, well, I started to say I never knew what it meant until I got married, honestly. And then my wife was using it on me a couple of times. I went, <laughs> what are you talking about? She goes, you, you got to watch this psychological thriller. It was a 1944 movie called Gaslight. 1944 movies directed by George Cukor. Charles Boyer was one of the stars, Ingrid Bergman. And, and then you understand what it's about. He convinces her that she's lost her mind when she hasn't. She's doing all these things that are, that are right. And, and he's just 
saying, no, it didn't happen because he's undoing them. So she'd turn out a light and he'd turn it back on and he'd say, I thought you turned out the light. She goes, I did. And she started going, what? She's going mad. And what he wants to do is get her sent off so she can collect her money. But, um, but it's become a fairly common term. And so I was going to ask you, maybe Ian too, any examples you can think of gaslighting in the NFL today, yesterday, uh, last year, whatever. Any, have, you seen, have you seen Byron Leftwich in front of the podium? <laughs> okay. No, I haven't. I have not. Uh, but- I'll, I'll let Ian handle that. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a good one. I, I was going to say, uh, I, I guess we've been manipulated, or at least I say us. I mean, the, the general public has been manipulated to believe that everything that's happening right now is yeah. the greatest thing right. that has ever happened in the league and nothing else matters. There you go. That That's the end. And I, I look back, actually, I th- the first thing I thought of was, the Super Bowl uh, this past year, so the uh, uh, 2021 Super Bowl, so in February. Uh, OBJ was a star in that uh, Rams team later, and, and so mentioned him because he's in the news now and is he going to be a free agent going to some team, the Cowboys, Giants, we don't know, maybe the Bills. But um, as you remember, the, the Browns, he left the Browns and he goes to um, L.A. And he was portrayed in that game as a victim. I mean, look what the Browns did. They, they treated him badly. And it was actually completely the other way around when the Browns didn't treat him badly. He wanted out. And so they said, we'll let you go and you can go wherever you want. And he goes to the Rams and he wins a, ran- a ring. So um, that's the definition of gaslighting. And I think uh, it, it should be the, the word of the week because or the word of the year because we got OBJ back in the news. <laughs> OBJ and it, people are thinking he's the savior. What's he going to do? He's missed the entire year. Is he going to step in the lineup and catch 10 passes? I don't think so. Clark, I need a news update. Did uh, did the U.S. beat the uh, uh, – I, I don't know. I wasn't Ian? watching it. Ian? Ian? I, I saw that they did, and they, they advanced, did. yes. Wow, but, that's big. Know. They're going to yeah. play the Netherlands on Saturday. I'm sure you're going to be riveted to your screen, uh, Mr. Judge. Yeah, that's a Dutch treat for me. Uh, you got TiVo, Ira? That's why we have TiVo. I'm going to go watch it later, okay? I just saw the Spielberg movie, The Fablements. Was it good? Michelle Williams. She might win the Oscar for Best she, Actress. She's a great actress. Is that a- it's about um, Spielberg growing up. That's what that's I thought. What I was going to ask you that. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, I, I'd like to go see it. I, we don't go see movies much anymore. We just really don't. They close the theater around here. So you can get cough it up, on TV. up a few dollars over there, Judge. Cough it up. Cough it up. <laughs> Wait till for, for it to come up on pay-per-view. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week. This is not pay-per-view. This is not listen-per-view. You can actually get this free. And if you'd like to listen to this or any iTest for Two podcast, you just go to our website. That'd be itestfor2.com or the mothership, which is fullpresscoverage.com. Otherwise, well, otherwise, tune in to us next week, right here, right now. And we're going to be here with what, Ira? The, what is it again? The eye test for two, Clark. There the you I go. Test. We'll be looking for you. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>